Uh, turn with us, if you would, to the First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. We we've been talking for several weeks about service, being in His service, and today we want to just ask the question, and maybe for the next several weeks we'll be asking the question. Are you serving in your giftedness? Are you serving in your giftedness? And today as we begin to talk about serving in our giftedness, we want to just focus on worship. Maybe you can ask yourself through this message, am I serving in my giftedness in worship? In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, Martin Luther King made this statement. Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. What I mean by that or what he meant by that is you don't have to speak well and proper. Even a country boy from Union Chapel or Roland or Fairmont or even Prospect. <laughs> uh, we, with our dialects, we can still serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. So whatever our gift are and whatever God has enabled us to do, we have a responsibility as believers to use those gifts to build up his kingdom. I want us to get the gist of that last statement. Whatever our gift and whatever God has enabled us to do, we have a responsibility. (laughs) We don't have the privilege to choose we have the responsibility as believers to use those gifts to build up his kingdom. Reading over that statement this morning over and over and over, you may hear that statement throughout these next four or five messages. Um, We have a great responsibility We have the responsibility to use whatever gift God has given us. We are not to use it for our glory. It's to be based, it's to be used just to give God glory. It's to be used to magnify his son. It's to be used to build his kingdom. So so I have a couple questions for us today. First, do you have a gift that can be used in worship? And if you have a gift that can be used in worship, are you using the gift in worship? (laughs) David gives us a glimpse in here of what happens or what is supposed to happen in worship. The Bible tells us in in chapter 16, verses 1 through six in the book of first chronicles it says so they brought 
the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank and to give praise to the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Matiah, Eliab, Benaiah, and Obed-Edom. Jalil was with stringed instruments and harps. Both Asap made music with cymbals, but Asap made music with cymbals. Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you today for this day you've given us. God, we come before you seeking your help. God, we can't preach this message without your help. So God, we pray that you would work in the midst of this service. God, we pray for a fresh anointing upon the message. We pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross and that you would come forth. You would deliver this message in each and every heart. And God, we pray that that you're glorified in all that is done. We pray that Christ is magnified in all that is said. And God, we pray today that if there's any with us who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, that the day you would speak to their hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, remind them just how much you love them and that you're calling upon them. And God, give them the courage and the faith, God, to respond by receiving Jesus as their Savior. And God, we give you praise for everything. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Uh, I pray you excuse me for butchering some of those names. Uh, sounds a little bit like some slumby names, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, when we look at this passage, you may be wondering, what's that got to do with what we started off with today? Just stick with me for a few moments. Uh, we need to understand what's taking place now that the Ark of the Covenant is in the tabernacle. Why hasn't it always been in the tabernacle? Well, Scripture would help us to see that if we were to go to, I think it's First uh, Samuel maybe, um, chapter 4. And, we begin, and as you read through, you would find the history of why the ark of God was not in the tabernacle. Uh, Israel went out in the battle against the Philistines. Israel had, uh, was defeated and lost about 4,000 men on the battlefield. 
Israel thought it would be wise at that time to bring the ark of God to Shiloh to the camp where they were holding as their central place to make decisions about going out into battle. They thought that this would help recover, help them recover from their defeat. And when the Philistines heard the roar in Israel, they were fearful because they had heard about all the things that the God of Israel had done when they were in Egypt. But then somebody in the Philistines camp stood up and said, hey, look here. You need to be strong and conduct yourselves like men. Well, isn't that familiar? I mean, when we get afraid, somebody will come by and say, hey, man up. That's basically what's, what they're telling these soldiers here at this time. And this encouraged the Philistines. It encouraged them so that they captured the ark of God. During their capture of the ark of God, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were killed in battle. When news come to Eli that his sons were dead and that the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines, he fell backwards. And when he fell backwards, he died. Here, the Philistines has taken possession of the ark of God. And while the Philistines had possession of the Ark of God, they took it into a house where they worshiped their God, Dagon. When they took the Ark of God into this house, they placed it beside a graven image that they worshiped. And this graven image was sitting right there beside the very presence of God. They left out. They come back the next morning and that carven image was face down before the ark of God. They picked it up, set it back in its place beside the ark of God. They left. They come back the next morning and it was face down before the ark of God. This time, this head was broken and its hands were broken. So just the torso of this craven image was there bowed down before the very presence of God. <laughs> At this point, the Philistines become extremely fearful and they return the ark of God back to Israel. Here, the ark of God is taken to Kirith Jerim. I, I want us just to take notice of what I just shared with you. Folks, there is only one true God. He is the triune God. And if we are going to bow down before anyone, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given him authority to judge the world. And there's coming a day when, when man will bow down before God. You can choose to bow down now or you will bow down later. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's your neighbor, your co-workers, your fellow students, or even your family. It doesn't matter if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will bow down to him. 
The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 9-11 concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth. In other words, if he comes today and you're in heaven, you will bow down before him. If, you, if he comes today and you're on the earth, you will bow down before him. If you're in the grave, if you're in Hades, if you're separated from God, he's going to bring you up and you will still bow down before him. The difference is if you choose to wait until after you leave this world, you'll bow down before him and you'll hear him say, depart from me for I never knew you. But if you'll bow down before him on this side of life, while the blood's running warm in your body before he raptures the church, then you can hear him say, well done. Thy good and faithful servant. Yeah, everyone's going to bow down before him. Here a graven image is found broken, but bow down before the very presence of God. Oh, that should, that should ring a bell to our hearts. There is none greater. There is none greater than the God of glory. The ark of God... Now that the Philistines said, we don't want no part of this. Uh, no, we don't want no part of, of, of this. They've taken it to Kareth Jerim. And, it, and it's been taken to Abinadab's home. His home sat on a hill. And they consecrated his son to keep the ark of God. The ark remained there for 20 years. Get that. The ark is still not in Jerusalem. It's in possession of the Jews, but it's not in Jerusalem. It's away from Jerusalem, and it's been away now for 20 years. We know the story of Israel. Sometime right after this, Israel started crying out, we want a king, we want a king. God said, well, choose you a king. I'm not good enough for you. Choose you a king. They chose a man by the name of Saul. God anointed him because that's what they wanted. They chose someone who, when you look at him, he just fit the model of a king. Saul had no desire throughout his whole time as king to reestablish worship in Jerusalem because he never made an effort to bring the ark to Jerusalem. But then God chose a man. One that even his own father wouldn't choose <laughs> to be king of Israel. And as soon as he became king, he had a great desire. A great desire to reestablish worship in Jerusalem. But in his effort to reestablish worship, he learned a valuable lesson. And it come at the price of a trusted servant's life. You see, David, in his excitement to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, he, he didn't follow God's plan when moving the ark. He got ahead of himself and decided to do it his way rather than God's way. <laughs> 
Folks, we can't honor God not doing things his way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you live. It doesn't matter if you were actually born that way. I don't believe so, but I believe it's a choice, but that, that's neither here nor there. If it doesn't honor God, you, just because you say it does, doesn't mean it honors God. And you know what? We can't get far enough in life. In other words, it doesn't matter how many centuries go by. God doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And what dishonors him today dishonored him in the ancient times, and it will dishonor him 2,000 years from now. Here, David thinks he can do it his way, so they're bringing the ark of God back, and as they're bringing it back, one of the oxen stumbles. Uzzah, he reaches to balance the ark, keep it from falling. And he falls dead. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense. You know, all he's doing is protecting the ark. Why would he be killed? He touched the ark and he wasn't approved or authorized. You know, I I made a call to AT&T this week. Wanted to change some things because, you know, we're getting high-speed internet. Wanted to make some changes to plans and all. And they told me, you're not authorized. couldn't make the change I wanted to make. I've got to go down there face to face to make the changes on behalf of the church because I'm not authorized. When Uzziah or Uzzah, whichever his name is, when he placed his hand upon that ark, he wasn't authorized to. And it cost him his life. Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than the fat of the rams. Folks, we have to obey the Lord. The ark of God was left with Obed-Edom and his family for three months. David couldn't bring it to Jerusalem for three months. After that time went by, they went back to get the ark and they brought it back God's way. <laughs> Somehow David got a hold of the scriptures and he found out the instructions that God had given him in Leviticus and he brought the ark the way God wanted him to bring it. Oh, can you imagine? Now the ark of God is in Jerusalem. And because the ark of God is in Jerusalem, it's time to restore genuine worship. But I want us to notice what David goes about doing. Notice that sacrifice is established in worship. As soon as the ark of God was placed in the tent, David led the people in worship. Now, David, he didn't take over worship. What he did, he joined in with the priests and Levites to offer burnt offerings and fellowship uh, and fellowship sacrifices before the Lord. In chapter 15, we see here in, in verse 27 of, of chapter 15, we find that David even dressed 
as the priest. Look there, he says, David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, and were, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, and the singers, and, and Chenaniah, the, the music master, along with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. He dressed in an appropriate way as he was leading worship. This reminds us that David served as a priestly king. And I want to remind us that there is one who came after David, but he was preferred before David, the messianic priestly king, the Messiah, our chief priest, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, our savior, Jesus Christ. The burnt offerings that were offered up symbolized atonement. They symbolize reconciliation with God through this substitute sacrifice, which was a picture of Christ's death. The substitute sacrifice for the people. So through the burnt offerings, David and the priests sought the Lord for atonement or reconciliation through this sacrificial substitute. But then we see he also offered peace offerings. The peace or fellowship offering was burnt on top of the burnt offering. This symbolized the peace and fellowship of God is based upon atonement. Somebody should have shouted. Upon being reconciled to God, by presenting this offering to the Lord, David and the people sought to grow in God's peace and fellowship. I I don't know if if you got that. It's when we are forgiven of our sin. It's when there's been atonement for our sin and Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And when we call on him as our Lord and Savior, then we are forgiven of our sin. It's then and it's only then can we have peace. Can we have joy? Can Can we be in fellowship with God without being forgiven of our sins? We can't be in fellowship with God. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter if mom and daddy were preachers. It doesn't matter if they served in the church all their lives. Until you've been born again, you can't have peace with God. I imagine this was a, a wonderful time for Israel as they were worshiping around this tent, this tabernacle that was prepared for the ark of God. You know, it was said, it was said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once captured a prince and his family. When they came before him, Cyrus asked the prince, what will you give me if I release you? This prince said, half of my wealth I'll give to you. And Cyrus asked, well, what if I release your children? I'll give you everything I have. All that I have will belong to you. Well, what if I release your wife? He said, I'll give myself if you'll release my wife. Moved by this, Cyrus released the whole family. As they're walking home, this prince looked at his wife and said, you know, Cyrus, 
He was a handsome man, wasn't he? His wife looked at him with, with a deep love for her husband and said, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on the one who was willing to give himself for me. <laughs> oh, I wonder when we come into worship, where are our eyes? <laughs> When we come in to worship God, we come here to worship him. Where are our eyes? Is it on who's sitting next to us? What somebody else is wearing? Can you believe they come here with their head fixed like this? Can you believe they're sitting in my seat? Or do we walk in with our eyes fixed on the one who gave his life for you and I? Oh, my, 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 my. Mmm. Folks, public worship is essential for the people of God. David understood that, and I I believe we understand that. God's word's very clear. Public worship is essential for his people. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It tells us here, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the, the day approaching. But I have to ask us, when we come to worship, do we come to see what we can get out of worship? Or do we come to see what can I give to worship? In other words, do I come and sit on a pew and and cross my arms and say, now move me if you can? Or do we come prepared to give ourselves to him? Dr. Simon Chan once said, Worship is never meant to serve any other purpose except to glory God. So when we come to worship, we should come with eyes and minds on the one who gave his life for us. We should come ready to give ourselves to him, the one who God Gave up everything for us. But when we come together in corporate worship, how much of it is for us? What I mean, when we come, yes, we come to seek forgiveness of our sins so, so that we can have fellowship with God and that our worship may not be hindered. And when we come to worship, it should not be about us In our time of corporate worship, we are to sacrifice our feelings, our fears, and standing in this life. And we are to give ourselves over to praise and thanksgiving uh, to God. Worship is not about you or me having a spotlight. Worship is not about you or I, uh, what we can get out of it. Worship is not about, uh, it's not about, it, it's all about praising and thanking God for his goodness. Worship is about praising and thanking God for his grace and mercy. Worship is about praising and thanking God for his provision and his protection. Word, worship is about sacrificing ourselves and sacrificing what we want out of the service Sacrificing how we feel the service should go. Worship is about delighting in him. And we should plan and prepare for worship in such a way that he's going to get glory. How do we plan for it? We plan by praying 
and seeking his face. And we plan by spending time in his word. You know, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I, I'm just not being fed. Well, I wonder how much are you spending in the word of God? Now, if you're spending two and a half, three hours a day in the word of God and you're praying to God earnestly every day and you're still not getting nothing out of worship, maybe you need to change. But if you're not giving anything into worship and you're just sitting there waiting for something miraculous to happen, it doesn't work that way. We have to prepare. The Bible says some plants, some water, and God gives the increase. In other words, there's got to be some preparation before an increase can be given. And if we can't expect the increase without preparation first, I don't care what farmer you are, you're not going to get a crop if you don't plant that crop. You're not going to get a crop if you don't fertilize and water that crop. But when you've done what you can do, then God does the rest. It's the same way with worship. Same way with worship. When we spend time with God, then he'll give an increase. Here, here there was a sacrifice given in worship. But what we also notice is there was service extended in worship. Now, what, what I notice when I look in this passage, and, and I'm not trying to pull everything out of the passage in this message. We may have to come back to it one day, <laughs> and we'll pull something else. But what I notice that's in here is that David participated in worship. He didn't do everything in worship. (laughs) You didn't hear me. (laughs) David participated in worship. David didn't do everything in worship. Instead, he appointed Levites to permanent service in the worship center in Jerusalem. These Levites were to conduct the regular worship services for the people. But they weren't to do it all by themselves. There were specific duties spelled out for them. And they were to continually pray and offer up praise and thanksgiving to God in their services. And music was also to be part of their services. And Asaph was appointed to be the chief musician. Under him, there were eight other leaders who supervised the work and music of the Levites permanently stationed in Jerusalem. You know, there are pastors that have come here or they may even watch our service on TV and they say, well, you know, we're not going to do our service that way. And, and often, you know, I know it was a little different this morning. You see me sit up here when I'm normally sitting over here. Um, but often on a typical service, I don't really do anything until it's time to preach. You know, unless we're ha- we're celebrating someone who got saved through the week, or we're or we're celebrating because someone is ready to join our church, or I have some announcement that I need to make. You don't hear from me until it's time for preaching. I try to worship with you. You know, there's a reason for this. And it's not everyone's leadership style. I get that. They don't have to do things the way I do it. I'm not always right. But this is, this is me. And you've adjusted to that. You were used to seeing preachers sit in a pulpit. I, 
I can't hide my expressions, so you know everything that's going on in my life by my face. So it's better for me to sit back there. Only the choir sees it then. <laughs> so here, the, the reason for this is that we want to get as many people involved in the worship as we can. Brother Eugene makes our announcements. Our deacons rotate the call to worship. Brother Marcus leads our congregational singing. Brother Ronald leads our choir and our special singing. It's, that's just a typical Sunday morning. And there are some who are, are willing and able to lead all of that themselves. I'm just not able because you don't want to hear me sing. And I'm not willing when we got people who can do it. Uh, Folks, there's always room for involvement in, in the worship service. And there are probably gifts sitting out here that we don't even know anything about that can be involved in our worship service. And some of you may have gifts that will enhance our worship time. There are some who've never led a public prayer in our worship service, and that's probably because we don't know you're comfortable leading a public prayer. Maybe you can whisper that to us from time to time if you are uh, okay with that. There may be someone who would like to assist Brother Marcus with the kids' choir. I'm sure if you would let him know he would be glad to have you assist there may be someone who'd like to join Taylor with the drama I'm sure if you'll let her know she'll be glad for you to join her with this some may have the gift to sing and, and, and would like to share that gift on church in the church on occasion but if brother Ronald don't know it there's no way you're going to get up here because he's in charge of our music that's what we called him here for some may desire to help with the media. So I would encourage you to talk to Brother Marcus about it. But there may be more. Some may be gifted in areas I'm just not gifted in, yeah. such as monologues yeah. and dialogues. Yeah. Oh, man, I'd love to add that to our worship service. Yeah. And if you're gifted in that, we can find ways and times to make that part of our service. Some of you may be gifted with video equipment. As we move forward, man, it would be nice to have somebody's testimony to open up our service with. To hear things that they ordinarily wouldn't share in a group like this, but they might share on a camera so it can be projected to us. There are so many ways spiritual gifts can be used for the glory of God. I'm saying that There are gifts in this church, and if you are a born-again believer and the Lord has gifted you in an area that he can be glorified in worship, we want you to serve in that giftedness. Now, we know everybody is not going to sing, and we know everybody is not gifted in singing. I'm one of them. When I sing with with the congregation, the congregation beside me don't hear me. There's a reason for that. You don't want to hear me. (laughs) Not everyone's gifted with musical instruments, but if you have a propensity to learn it, if your child has that propensity to learn it, man, we'll help you. If you need help with the the, uh, lessons, we'll help you. 
We want children to learn. We want children to grow up in this church knowing how to play these instruments. You know how Brother Jerry got so good when he was a child? When he was, before, he was, before he was a teenager, he was playing for the youth choir at Riverside. And that just forced him to, to be determined to get better because he's playing in front of people. Yeah. We've seen Brother Ronald's grandson up here from time to time, yeah. both of them from time to time. Yeah. It's because they're wanting to learn. And listen, it's not... Brother Ronald, this isn't so cliquish that nobody can do this, is it? No. Anybody. We want, we want whoever has the gift to learn to become part of this because you know what? One day, I don't know when it'll be. Maybe it'll be another 30 years from now, but Brother Ronald won't be with us. There's coming a day I won't be with us. There's coming a day you won't be here, but you want your children and your grandchildren still leading worship in this place. Yeah. If the Lord hasn't come. Man, when Brother Ronald started in music, he weren't playing the piano. He was playing a guitar. Brother, we know Brother Marcus. He grew up playing the cello. Brother Jerry's played every instrument over here since he's been here with us. And I saw the looks on your faces when Brother Jamie sang the first time. <laughs> you know, when he used that gift the very first time, I saw you. I was looking. I was trying to hide mine too. But everybody's mouth dropped. Man, look at... Ethan, the way he has grown and matured on the drums here. He was never a regular drummer until he come here. And we, Stephen's playing a harmonica when he's here, if Ethan's here. If he's not, he plays the drums. We need, listen, these fellas, you know, I hope God keeps them here for another 50 to 70, um, to 70 years, but there's no guarantee that they're going to be here that long. But we don't want this to end. We never want this to end. You know, I came here and we didn't have an instrument. And for eight years, we didn't have one instrument being played because Marcus was off in school. When he finished school, he went away to work. But thank God he brought him back here. But when he brought him back, we, the piano was being played. And now we have a band. Boy, don't you like our band? <laughs> I love our band. You know what I love about our band? Other churches talk about our band. You know, and they don't talk about it out of jealousy. They talk about how blessed we are. And it's a reminder to me to just thank God. So when I come in to praise God, I want to praise him and thank him for what he's blessed us with. (laughs) You know, God not only demands that we worship, he expects us to long for worship. He expects our voices to be raised in consistent public worship. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. He expects us to worship and he expects us to use the gifts he has given us. For his glory. Oh, if your gift can be used in worship, let's, let's glorify God in our giftedness. Right now, I'm going to ask, as you begin to bow your head and close your eyes, that no one move, no one leave, no one get up to leave. Your children are okay. Your children are okay. Just 
Just stay with us for this moment, for this time. Because there may be somebody who's battling right now between heaven and hell as a decision for them. And if you're in that battle right now, I would encourage you to call out to Jesus. Oh, if you believe that he is the son of God, if you believe that he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life, if you believe he died for the sin of the world and on the third day he rose from the grave, or as, as every Christian is praying and everyone else is remaining silent and just thinking about your life, would you, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, Would you right now make a decision? They're going to come and they're going to prepare a song of invitation for us. But right now, right now, right now while they're praying for you, right now while they're seeking God's face on your behalf, would you, would you consider Surrendering your life to Jesus. Oh, and the gift that he has already placed in you here, make it real so that it can be used in his service. It may be a gift for for worship. It may not be, but whatever that gift is, he'll make it real to you so it can be used in his service. Would you today? As they're preparing to sing this song, I, I'm, I'm looking for you to come. If you're here, you're here by divine appointment, and you're here because you believe. So now, would you come? As you're coming, as you're coming, the church is praying. As you're coming, they're praying for you. Would you come?